Welcome, everyone, to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Well, hi, everyone. This is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today, our weekly podcast. I'm really glad you joined us. I'm very honored and excited about a longtime friend, student, and mentor, and just a great personality guest today. Her name is Kirsten Dean. Kirsten, say hi to everybody. Hi. Hi, Doc. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how we got to know each other and what you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I was doing the math, Doc, and we've known each other for almost 10 years now. For a full decade, you've had to put up with me, Wow, (laughs) which is so crazy. But it has been a great 10 years. So like you had mentioned, I started off as a student of yours in uh, business character values. When I started as a junior, I also took your class as an intern my senior year. And um, if that wasn't enough for me, I came back uh, after I graduated high school and came back as a co-instructor and mentor for the students. And I did that for about five years. And in between that time, after I graduated, I was also working for you as a dental assistant at the dental office. And I worked for you for about six years. Wow, that's exciting. And all that time, you never got fired once, huh? No, it's crazy. I I came pretty close a couple of times, but I came through (laughs) unscathed. (laughs) Well, that's good. Well, I'm excited you're here. You know, one of the things that we want to do is in this podcast to give some people an opportunity to apply some of the concepts that you're familiar with. And when I talk about it, when we talk about the 12 dichotomies of personal relationships and personal growth, Mm -hmm. and one of those things is one of the reasons I wrote the book, Ride the Elephant, A Journey to True Success, is to give the reader an opportunity to take a deep dive into those concepts and apply them to their life. And it isn't a book of shoulds. It isn't a book of things that they're supposed to do or need to do or have to do. It's strictly self-reflective, and I was wondering, as you self-reflected on some of the things that you read in Ride the Elephant, what came up for you that you think would be of interest to the audience? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the book overall and just my experience with you in the class Something that really stuck out to me and that I started evaluating from a very young age was my relationships that I had, not only with myself, but with a lot of my teachers growing up. And then as I got older, my business relationships and also my family relationships as well. And I think early on, you know, before I met you, there was a lot of perceptions about me that were some were accurate, um, some were not, but, you know, perception is key. So I think, you know, the part of the book that really resonated with me was being able to evaluate the relationships that you have in life and ask yourself key questions of, you know, if you're happy with those relationships or if there's things that you want to consider or change. Yes, excellent. 
And, you know, one of the things I address is some of the things that I considered changing. Uh, and when I started the book, I started to talk about the author's note. I wanted the mm -hmm. reader to have a perspective of what some of the things that I was realizing and maybe didn't realize right. and then came to realize because of, like you say, asking yourself those hard, difficult questions about why relationships mm -hmm. aren't working as well as you would like them to. Why do people have this perception of me when it's not really me? What is it that mm -hmm. about me that's causing people to have these perceptions? And mm -hmm. we have a tendency to not look at those things in a meaningful way. We have a tendency to get frustrated right. by them. We have a tendency to judge ourselves because of them. Mm -hmm. We have a sense that sometimes we think less of ourselves because of them. And they aren't true. That's the thing about many of those beliefs that we have that we take on at a young age that we carry on for a lifetime and they aren't even true. Right. So what have you learned in the process of having those awarenesses? Well, I think a lot of what I learned was, like you said, I think we can start to believe what others say about us, especially people in authority. So parents or teachers or bosses or, you know, anyone in your life like that. And you create this narrative or you take on their narrative. And it becomes very challenging at that time to reflect and say, okay, is this truth for me? If it is true, is this something that I want to be true moving forward? Or is this something that I want to change? And that is something that I started to really reflect on in my young adulthood, I guess you would say, was that my perception and asking myself those questions. And it's really interesting, fact because you know me, you worked with me and have been in my life for a really long time. And, and you saw me in high school and everything. And growing up, I think, especially in a faith-based school, there's a certain type of student or a certain mold that is praised more often than not. And a lot of my childhood growing up, I never had the awareness or anyone in my life that really knew how to mold my personality traits into something that was more, I guess, in character or more of the blue behavior that you talk about, where I was showing signs of that behavior, but it was passion instead of perseverance or bossy versus leadership. And it was really the foundation of taking responsibility for myself instead of waiting for someone to come along and coach me through those things. So I, I hope that answers your question. I think I got a little off tangent there, but does that make sense where I'm going? Yes. Like I said, you know, I saw in you some tension that was within your sorting things out, deciding who you're going to be and how you were mm -hmm. going to act in the relationships you were in. And I saw you acting right. in one way in some relationships and another way in another relationships. And one of the things that struck me about mm -hmm. that is that you were really trying to fit in and conform mm -hmm. and mold into what other people expected of you. But mm -hmm. what was interesting mm -hmm. about that and my observation of that, you were never satisfied with trying to right. meet someone else's expectations. And for the mm -hmm. most part, you were disappointing them because you couldn't meet their expectations because it wasn't authentically you. Yeah. 
Right. And until you garnered the tools and saw the dichotomy that played out between a, one behavior that was not working and another behavior that could possibly be working, you then had to sort out the questions that exist between those two and look at some of those core beliefs that you had that caused you to be in the behavior you're wanting to change and what would need yeah. to exist for that behavior to change and what would you need to believe about yourself that would make that happen, mm -hmm. especially at times right. when you had everybody else labeling you or categorizing mm -hmm. you that you felt uncomfortable in. So what mm -hmm. did it take for you to break out of that mold that everyone was trying to put you in that would cause you to have the shift? The number one thing for me, Doc, was surrounding myself by very intentional mentors, handpicking those individuals. And with that, going into meet mentors is picking those individuals who saw through the facade or saw through that struggle that I was having with trying to fit in here or not be authentic there. They knew my intent. They saw through it and they were there to call me out on it. They were there to help coach me. They've been there themselves. So picking good mentors to surround myself with. And at a time, I was surrounded by good mentors all day long. I had BCB class in the mornings, and I would go to the dental office. I was surrounded by mentors there. I would go to school. I would have professors that I handpicked out. There was never a time that I was left unmonitored where somebody wouldn't call me out. So that was the biggest stride that I had taken, and that was specifically something that I had to seek out to do and take responsibility because there was a lot of people in my life, but I had to be intentional with who I had selected. Because not everybody is in, in your life has your good intentions at heart. They want you to be a certain way. They want you to conform in a way they would expect you to conform. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you don't fit that mold, you kind of get trashed and thrown off to the side. So you say you had right. to look for the right people in your life that allowed you to make that shift. Right. You know, I remember a time early on in our relationship when you were kind of categorized by some people in the school, some of the mm -hmm. what you thought would be teachers or mentors, and they mm -hmm. kind of put a label on you that you felt kind of stuck with you. I remember one time mm -hmm. you signed up for the second year in my class as actually a student assistant where you would be like an intern into the class. Right. I thought that was very exciting for me to see you take that step. And I knew mm -hmm. that you had a lot of potential and I just felt that people weren't giving you that chance and I wanted to give you that chance. So I encourage you to be my intern. I really was hoping that you would and that it would give you an opportunity to really excel at a higher level than what we were able to achieve in just the first year we were together. And do you remember what happened? I was told on the last day of your junior year mm -hmm. that you would not be allowed to be the intern for the next year because you had been labeled by not being of good right. enough character to lead that. I mean. After all, you know, like many juniors and teenagers, we all make mistakes. We all do things. We all regret some of the things we do. There isn't anybody on this call that doesn't regret some of the things they were doing. But if it wasn't for those right. people stepping up and giving us a second chance. So tell us a little bit about that story, about what happened there from your perspective and what it meant for you to have me 
step up and say, well, if Kirsten isn't my intern, then I'm not your teacher. And I was ready to quit the school. I was not going to let them throw you under the bus. Mm -hmm. I said, no way. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to teach, she's my intern. You have to pick. Yeah. What was your thought about that? Yeah, this story is a very pivotal moment for me. And looking backwards, it makes sense to me why these things happened. And But as a young adult, it was very hard to see through the weeds or the trenches. And part of the story for me that you had knew at the time, I didn't know until in my later years. But this specific story is one from my teenage years that I remember specifically and completely changed the whole trajectory of my life and me as a person. So absolutely, I can kind of get into this story. So yes, I was a student in your junior year class. I excelled that summer. I also had came to work for you at the dental office. But the story kind of starts a little bit sooner than that because in preparation for our senior year classes, we were in our junior year picking our senior year classes, and I had talked to the student counselor in my classes, and I was I told her I was going to be an intern for your class, that Dr. McKinley had already approved this. And at that point in time, I was told that the class was not going to exist. I was kind of in a tip about that, and I said, well, if I can't pick this as my class, I'm not picking any. And I had went to you the next morning. And I told you that the class was not going to exist. I was confused from you. I had heard that you were going to continue it. So you and I were trying to kind of figure it out together. And at that point in time, we kind of had gotten to the bottom of things and that they were going to cancel the class. Come to find out, it was specifically because I was going to be an intern in the class and I was not considered a viable role model for the students under me. And I didn't know this part until long after I had graduated, but you knew this. And the reason, and I also didn't know this either, but that summer I had gotten a call from you and I remember it exactly where I was out by my pool. Summer had just started. I got a call from a random number. I had answered, it was you, you had asked some questions, like, what are you doing this summer? Did you want to come in and meet the staff? And being a student, I heard so many stories about the dental office, the staff. So I took you up on the offer, and I said I'd meet you all for lunch, got ready. A week later, went out to lunch with you guys, met the staff. You had asked me to come back to the dental office. You showed me around a little bit, and then we walked into your office, and you asked me do you have a summer job? I said, no, I had not worked at this point. And you're like, well, how about a job here? And I looked at you and I was like, me? Because at the time I did not have my high school diploma. I certainly didn't have anything beyond that. So I was confused why I would be offered a position at a medical place. And you had said something that stuck with me and has kind of been my, I guess, my motto for any position that I go for, anything in my life really is, you had looked at me and you said, you have character, so I can teach you anything you need to know. So I have carried that through any position that I was quote unquote unqualified for, or really anything. I had always had that in the back of my mind. And at that point, I had said, yes, I'll come on board. And I had worked my way up at the dental office. I started just nightly closing, kind of helping some of the ladies go home a little bit earlier. And then I became a pretty distinguished person on the team. I would say I started working full time 
for you and moved into Cherryside with you. That summer between my junior and senior year where I was able to work with you three days a week for 12 hours, you really had pushed me. And looking back, everything was perfectly set up to where it would be a very experiential moment for me to reflect or ask myself questions or things would happen where you and I would talk about it. And that really grew me. I mean, in a matter of like three months, I was a completely different person. I still obviously had a lot of work to do, but my foundation and the pivot that I had just in that short amount of time that you decided to tell the principal of the school that you were going to use that summertime to coach and mentor me. And then I would come back in the fall and hopefully at that point be an intern. And I, I didn't know this at the time, but... I came back and I guess things were approved enough to where I was able to intern for the class and being an intern really changed my perspective too because I really was able to see myself in, I guess, the first leadership role that I had. And it was on a small scale, but for me at the time, senior and looking for an opportunity for that, I really took that to heart with being a mentor and being a leader and using that as kind of a foundation there. So I think if there's any more you want me to add to that, Dr. McKinley, or did I any questions you have from that? I know it's a long story. I tried to go through it with as much well, it's longer. It's longer than that. Even uh, uh, we could spend it a lot of time talking about. It. It's still ongoing. It's and it still ongoing. Is. That's the thing. Yeah, it, that's the beauty of it. Because every every year, I get to look back on that story and tell it, add a new piece to the puzzle. I guess, and it's funny because you and I always talk about connecting the dots backwards and. That's a huge dot connection in my life. And like I said, it really changed me, molded me, and my life would not be the same without that story, that piece of my life. No, it was a, it was a meaningful story for me to go through with you because it just made me realize, too, and I knew this before, but it was just validation and verification that when you consider that the beliefs, values, and principles that are built into your life determine how you respond in every situation. And I saw some of the responses you were having to the situations in your life. And it was based on some beliefs that I knew were not true. And I knew if you really Mm. had a chance to reflect on them and consider them in a different way, you would redefine those beliefs. And you did. Mm -hmm. And as a result, Mm -hmm. you asked yourself some very tough questions. I understand a lot of them were prompted by me. However, (laughs) me asking you a difficult question, unless you take it in and reflect on it, it doesn't mean anything Mm -hmm. because you could totally ignore Mm -hmm. it and totally blow it off. But you never did. You always Mm -hmm. considered it at a very deep level. And you started to dissect it out and sort it out in a way that allowed you to make a new decision and head in a new direction in your life. And look what you've done since. You've advanced very well into your career. You had a career position given to you even before you graduated from college. And you built off that to create what you've created today. And it's awesome to see the growth that you've made. What would you say to the individual here that is listening that is really questioning themselves? They think they're being labeled. They think they're being judged. They think they're being identified by their previous behavior. 
and they just mm. aren't being given the second chance and they're kind of despondent about it. And what would you suggest they do to reverse the course of that situation that's occurring in their life now? That's an interesting question. I would say lean in because it would have been very easy for me to just say, oh, that's not true. Ignore, ignore the signs, ignore the things that were happening in my life, ignore everything that was going on and shut it all down. But your problems follow you or your life choices follow you. So I would say lean in to those common thoughts out there and start questioning it. And the other would be, like I said, the best thing that I have done for myself is to surround myself by great people, people who know your intention and are willing to call you out. A lot of people aren't willing to say the hard things to you or to be that person in your life that says what needs to be said. So I surround myself with people like that. I think one of the reasons you surrounded yourself around so many strong mentors that you said would hold you accountable and call you out. And I think you were hungry to find Mm -hmm. a better way. You said, you know, this red behavior you talked about, this behavior that is maybe on the one side of this dichotomy when we talk about blame to personal responsibility, you were saying, I'm spending way too much time on this blame side of this dichotomy and not enough time on this personal responsibility side. Well, you and I were the same in that way, you know. The thing that excites me the most, you didn't have to wait till you're 40 to figure it out. You figured it out at a lot younger age. And of course, that it had to do with... just the, about the same, though. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But it had to do with the great mentors you had. You made sure you picked mentors who were going to hold you accountable. Right. I knew you graduated from the Dichotomy Institute. When you came in here one day and I called you into my office and I started reading you the riot act. I said, Kirsten, these lab cases have to go out on a timely basis, and they need to go to the right lab. This lab case went out to the wrong lab. And i never forget it because you said to me, okay, Doc, I got it. You're right. It was my responsibility to make sure those gone out to the right lab, and I will take care of it, and I'll make sure it never happens again. And I said, oh, good for her. She didn't give me an excuse. She didn't justify her mischief. She just said, got it. I will take care of it. Well, I think you know the story, Kirsten. Come to find out, another assistant, after you went out and maybe talked to some of the people in the office, the one assistant came back to me and said, I was the one responsible for uh, not sending the lab case out to the right lab. So when she said that to me, I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. So I went back to you and I realized that Kirsten, you know, you didn't tell me that you weren't even here that day. You weren't even in the office. But you never used that as an excuse. You never used that as an explanation. You just said, mm-hmm. hey, it's me. I'll take care of it. And I said, no, that's my Kirsten. She finally got it. And you've shown that mm-hmm. same quality ever since then. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things we all need to do is maybe reflect back on some of those behaviors that are on the side of the dichotomy that is not really taking personal responsibility and start to see what we can do to take personal responsibility. Because when you take personal responsibility, people respect you. I think one of the reasons you're advancing so quickly in your career is because your superiors that come and talk to you, I would bet you never give them an excuse. You never justify. Mm, Yeah. 
you just say, I'll take care of it? I can taste it on my tongue before it even comes out. It's just like vomit. I can't even go back to that place. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry I did that to you. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, it's so uncommon in today's society and even more specifically, Doc, in my age group. So when you get the antithesis of that, it really sticks out and, and no one knows what it is. They just know it's different. And that goes for all of the dichotomies, all of the red and blue behavior. There's so much red in our society, our culture. So when you get a taste of that blue and it's so authentic, your head almost turns and it's like, what was that? That's different. Well, it's um, like you didn't know you didn't know you didn't know. And once you got a taste of what it is, mm. what's life is like on the other side, then you could never go back. The reason I think you have that taste, and I say it in a little different way, I say when blame starts to fall off my lips, when it starts to even get to that point where it's there, I say, stop. This is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. You start saying, okay, now what's the better choice here to make than to start justifying my mischief and blaming other people or, or not taking personal responsibility? And I think it's just the hard thing for people to understand. They can just say, well, okay, I'll just stop blaming. Well, that's mm. fine. But if you're still blaming in your heart, and maybe you're not blaming out loud, but you're blaming in your heart and you're blaming in your mind, it still does a lot of damage to you. Even though no one else right. hears it, it's still doing damage to you. And so it's that core belief that you have. What belief did you have before when you used to blame and not take personal responsibility, what were some of the beliefs that you had before? Can you name any? Oh, gosh. <laughs> that I'm perfect. Right. One right is, I don't want a consequence, so I need to blame somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten a gold star. I've gotten participation awards. I mean, I'm a millennial. I grew up with that. There was never anything I could do wrong. Yes, of course. Until you ran into me. Yeah. <laughs> And then everything I do was <laughs> no, but I mean, like I said, it's having those people in your life that call you out. And, you know, I yeah. think this concept this you didn't know, you didn't know. Well, how, how do you learn to know? Or how do you learn that you don't know something if you don't know it? I think it's a big concept, even though it's like a simple phrase. So Doc, from your perspective, what does it take someone if they don't know? How do they start knowing or start recognizing it? Is it all through turmoil or like pain points in their life where they have to start knowing and reflecting on this? Or is there other ways? Like what has been your experience with that? Well, I think many people would say it comes from pain. I remember talking to a psychologist about the dichotomies. And I remember him saying, how do you make someone transition from this behavior here to a behavior of personal responsibility? And they said, looked at me and he right. said, besides pain and suffering? In other words, <laughs> is that the only way it happens? And, you know, yeah. sadly enough, a lot of times that is. And I said to myself, no, right. it can't be that. There's got to be a better way to transition from this behavior, this red side of the dichotomy, to the blue side of the dichotomy in this case, the blame mm. side of the dichotomy to personal responsibility without having to go through the pain and suffering to get us to right. understand. 
And I think it can be done by just seriously looking at the things that you said, I see behavior in this person here that I want to emulate. That's something I want to have in my life. So you develop a relationship with that person, if you can. Find out what they're doing and what their beliefs are that cause them to respond the way they do. Obviously, the beliefs you have that are causing all this negative stuff to go on in your mind and always trying mm-hmm. to blame and make excuses and justify, right. that's based on your core beliefs. So you really start yeah. looking at what core beliefs exist in a person that does not do that. You know, Paul Kohler was an interesting person. You know him. He was a young man who yeah. lost his hands at a factory accident at a very young age. Yeah. And it was very interesting. I thought, oh, boy, if everybody wanted to blame anybody for losing his hands. Was, you know, yeah, he had, right. he had three or four people in that factory he could have blamed for that situation. And one thing that struck me is he never did that. And I said, wow, mm-hmm. I need to find out why he doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And Paul took personal responsibility for his situation. He said, you know, I put myself in a place where I probably knew I was not safe. I felt I could make more money there than a safer job. And I wanted to earn more money. And maybe I shouldn't have, when the factory owner asked to remove some of the safety features off the machine, maybe I should have said, well, this isn't a place I want to work anymore. And he did take personal responsibility for that. And he always would say, well... I knew it was happening and I could have made my choice and I didn't. And this is so now right. this is what I have. And so I thought that was very fascinating that he could put that horrible incidence into his life. I know Victor Franco, many of people read Victor Franco's book, A Man's Search for Meaning. And he was right. incarcerated in the concentration camps in Auschwitz during World War Two. And His wife was killed, and many of his friends were killed, and he was tortured while encamped. And he was able to come out of that, and he said, and I'll paraphrase it, you know, someone can take away your liberty, but they could never take away your freedom and your freedom to respond. And it was fascinating to hear that. When I read that in a book a few years ago, I was really struck by that, how important it is for us We may not be in control of the things that happen to us, but we are in control of how we respond to those situations. I think that's one of the things, a belief that a person can have, to answer your question, is recognizing that, yes, we cannot maybe have control in everything that happens to us, but we do have control and freedom to respond how we respond. And that's big. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, being in class, you know, when we were teaching class, we watched a lot of students, some, you know, with personal history that was pretty heavy, but also some that didn't. And for them to even grasp these concepts and have tools in their tool belt for when something did come up, because it wasn't if it was going to win. And we've had students, I know, talk to both you and I, that these concepts and owning these beliefs, how they've transformed situations in their life that occurred because they had the tools to move through it differently than if they didn't. So, yeah, I think that's a great point you make, too. Yeah. Again, you didn't know, you didn't know. And Mm -hmm. that's the self-reflective aspect of considering, you know, asking yourself the big questions that caused you to reflect on some things and to think differently about it. Because I think one Mm -hmm. of the things that I encourage the listener to hear 
is many of those things that we believe, because it's the beliefs, values, and principles that determine how we respond to every situation in our life, some of those beliefs are not even true. That's For the sure. kicker. Mm-hmm. And when you were told some things about your character or your lack of character by the people who are in your formative years, you could have bought into that and accepted that mm-hmm. hook, line, sinker for the rest of your life. And, Absolutely. And, but you made a decision to say, no, that's not me. And you mm-hmm. made an intention to show that it wasn't you. That's huge. And that's one of the things I hope to do when I bring the reader to the book, Ride the Elephant, A Journey to True Success. One yeah. of the things I hope to bring to the reader is that opportunity to self-reflect. This podcast is not here, nor is the book here, and nor am I here to tell anybody what they should do. You know, I've mm-hmm. always said to you, Kirsten, I'm not going to shoot on you. <laughs> right. However, I may ask you some questions that cause you to self-reflect. Right. Well, and, and no one can answer those questions except for the reader. Yeah. And even if I tried to answer them or think I could answer them, that they're not going to believe it anyways. The, the path that it takes you on is a very fruitful one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kirsten, I have to say thank you for being my guest today. It was awesome to have you. I, I miss not connecting yeah, with you, you. Uh, as much as we <laughs> used to. We used to see each other every day. And if we didn't have enough the five days of the week, we got I together know. in the weekend. So uh, <laughs> I know. Well, this material always brings us together, and I'm just, I'm just hanging on. I'm like, what's next from you? And it's always something, and can't stay away from it. So anytime you, you want to talk to me on a podcast or anything, I'm here and I, I love it. So thank you for having me. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on the Ride the Elephant today. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week.